Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. We have one of our very frequent guests on this week, and it's always fitting to welcome uh, Dr. Mike Walden, who is uh, uh, sort of our go-to guy when we want to talk about the economy, not only in North Carolina, but also across the country and across the, and around the world, for that matter. So, uh, Mike, welcome again to the program. And, and uh, I, you know, I, I guess I want to start off with, are election years different? Uh, do they pose different problems to you economists as you're trying to figure out what's going to go on? Because I would imagine neither political party really wants to do anything that probably uh, might need to be done because it might lose votes. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, this is outside of my field. I think we saw that with the border bill that um, there was some comments made that uh, the, some Republicans didn't want to pass because it would uh, take the issue away. And and, and I'm not going to get I'm not going to get pick sides on that. But the um, what is what is significant about this year, and we've seen it done in previous election years, is the Federal Reserve is really uh, front and center. Uh, the Federal Reserve, as many people know, has been raising interest rates over the last couple of years in order to try to slow the economy, not put it in a recession, but slow the economy, and that generally leads to lower rates of inflation. Uh, they've been, they have been very successful about doing that. We went from a high inflation rate year over year of 7.2%. Most recent reading is 3.4%. Their target is 2 uh, They have signaled that they, they're done raising interest rates, number one, and that number two, they will likely lower interest rates this year. Now, that sets up the potential interaction with, with politics. You can see several times in the past where particularly setting presidents, seated presidents, uh, and I'll give you one example, George H.W. Bush, who were running for re-election who were highly critical during the campaign of the Federal Reserve. In, in George H.W. Bush's um, uh, case, it was not a matter of whether the Fed was lowering rates or not. They were lowering rates, but they slowed them down, slowed their, slowed their cuts down as we got closer to the election. And, um, and President Bush had, was very public about his, his concern about that and didn't like it. Um, we have, have had other instances of that. On the, on the flip side, you go back to Richard Nixon, running for re-election in 1972, he had a friend, um, actually was a mentor, who was chair of the Federal Reserve, so they were fairly close, and Nixon, and you can read several accounts of this, convinced uh, that that uh, head of the Federal Reserve to, hey, lower interest rates, punch a lot, punch a lot of money in the economy in order to make the economy good, which, they, which we did see that in 72, but we paid for it later in 73 and 74 with very high inflation rate. So, I think what will be different this year than we saw in 2020 or, or more recent um, elections, and that is that people are going to be watching the Fed. Uh, how fast will they lower interest rates? How much will they lower interest rates? Will they lower interest rates at all? So they're 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 really under the the microscope here. Is there anything similar to what we used to call the prime rate? Because different banks, I understand, are using different metrics to. Uh, decide what their their lowest rate is or their average rate is. What are the economists using as far as what is the, uh, I guess, what we used to call the prime rate? Well, in terms of what the Federal Reserve does, they we look at what's called the federal funds rate, 
technically, Don, that is the interest rate at Bank A charges Bank B for a loan, and there are loans that take place between, <laughs> between banks. The Federal Reserve doesn't have direct control over any private market interest rates, so they don't directly control the prime rate. They don't directly, or whatever a bank is using. You're absolutely right. There are some different rates there. They don't control credit card rates. They don't control mortgage rates. But generally what we see is when the Federal Reserve raises their key rate, again, the federal funds rate, other interest rates will move in that direction. So that's that's the power of the Federal Reserve. Then in the background, this doesn't get as much attention of their control over that prime rate or over that uh, federal fund rate. They can pull money in and out. They can push money into the economy, which they did in spades during COVID to the tune of a couple trillion or three trillion dollars. Or they can pull money out of the economy. And they've actually been doing that for the last couple of years. That's another way they slow things down. So uh, what do you forecast uh the average home mortgage rate will be over the next 12 months. Yeah, we're we're around um uh, if you look at the 30 year fixed as your as your benchmark, I think we're around 6.5, 6.7 somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh I think it'll be by the end of the year, I think we'll be to the fives, maybe maybe 5.25, 5.5. Federal Reserve has indicated they they are looking for a couple, at least a couple, maybe more than a couple rate cuts. Uh, the question is, is again, as I said earlier, when are they going to start? I don't think they're going to start as, as soon as many people thought. I'm not looking for them to start cutting until May. And that's one question then. And then how many cuts are they going to have and how big are they going to be? I don't think we're not going to get back. I've been telling people always ask me, well, gosh, Walden, are we going to get back to those great mortgage rates of, uh, of uh, three or four years ago when you could get a 30-year fixed rate under 3% unheard of? And the answer is no, they're not going to go that low. So uh, one and a half points on a mortgage rate for, say, a $500,000 house, that's still a substantial reduction in uh, the monthly payment. And also over the 30-year period, it's a huge amount of money. Oh, yeah. There's no question that the housing market has been hurt by the Federal Reserve's policy over the last two years of raising interest rates, um, just like the housing market was helped when the Federal Reserve did the opposite in 2020 and 2021 when we were dealing with COVID, when they pushed those rates, those 30-year, uh, well, the effect of their, of their policy was to push those 30-year rates, as I said, down to under, under 3%. So uh, the, the Federal Reserve is in the background here. A lot of people don't quite understand who they are and why they do what they do. But uh, in general, they are they are the point agency when we do have a problem with inflation and they use their powers when we have inflation that is higher than we would like. Uh, they use their powers to try to slow things down, not put us in a recession, although actually, Don, that's usually the case. But it looks like they may have averted that this time. You know, one of the big misses, I don't know if you're going to talk about this later, but one of the big misses by economists in 2023 was most economists a year ago, and I would put myself in this camp, were predicting some kind of a recession in 2023. And we didn't, fortunately, we didn't have it. We were wrong. <laughs> and um, this year for 2024, most economists are saying no recession. So we hope it doesn't flip the other way that we're <laughs> wrong last year, we're going to be wrong this year too. But I think the economic conditions are much better, particularly, again, what the Federal Reserve's policy going to, is going to be.
Well, as I recall last year when we were talking about recession, one, you said you thought we would have one. You thought it would be mild. And you also thought that North Carolina might be even more mild, if there's such a term, uh, than uh, a lot of states. Well, thanks, Tom. For you bailed me out a little bit. Thank you. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that was my my viewpoint. You know, uh, just one thing I'll say, we may get to this later, but while it's on my head, I've just been doing some number crunching for my next uh, column. And uh, since, uh, if you compare where the North Carolina job market is today, compared to not at the low point during COVID, but the high point right before COVID, which I benchmark as February, 2020, we have added 7% to our job numbers from March, from uh, February, 2020 to December of 2023, 7%. And the significance of that, that is more than twice more than twice the increase at the national level. So North Carolina's economy is still humming. And it appears to be, you know, uh, the economy, economic situations are like a freight train. They're a little hard to stop. I mean, once it gets going, it's it's harder to stop than it is to keep it going. Uh, yes, and, and uh, again, I would say the Federal Reserve has been successful at that. They didn't really start their what we call tightening policy. That's what we refer to when they pull money out of the economy and they raise interest rates. They actually didn't start until early 2022. They got a lot of criticism for that because they were sort of late to the game. A lot of economists, I think I was screaming at that point, hey, we've got an inflation problem. Fed needs to do something. Well, they were late, but they have been successful. We didn't have a recession in 20, obviously 2022, didn't have one in 2023. Most of the economists say we're not going to have one in 2020. Uh, four and and uh, I'll say this for again before I forget it also, um, if you look since World War II, and you look at the uh, fourteen situations where the economy was like it's been in the last couple of years, meaning that we had an inflation problem, and the Federal Reserve stepped in to slow the economy down, in and I'm including the situation we have now in twelve of those fourteen situations. The result was a recession. Um, the exception was now, so far now, and the other exception was 1995. Well, it's, uh, I mean, it, 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 uh, I guess through the years we have learned to use the data better. And of course, there are other extenuating circumstances that, that are at play also. It's not just uh, what, uh, I mean, market conditions change and what they're basing this decision on today may not be uh, there five years from now, or I mean, five months from now, or even five weeks from now. Yeah, I think I think two things really ha helped us this time around. Uh, one is a lot of our inflation problem was due to supply chain problems, and those have been pretty much repaired. And secondly, all the money the federal government pumped into the economy, and this is under two administrations. First, firstly, the uh, people had to say that because the economy wasn't open. Then they started uh, using it to spend and that spending has still, even though it's expensive to borrow money, they've had savings that they could draw down on in order to spend. That, I think, was one of the big stories of 2023. Those COVID savings were still around to allow people to continue to spend. And that's the whole name of the game in economics. Consumer spending accounts for 70% of economic activity. So if consumers stop spending, we have a recession. What about savings rates? You brought that up. Are savings rates stable? Uh, well, no, they, they've been bounced around a lot. The savings rates went sky high in late 2020 and 2021 as, again, the COVID money was being pumped in. People didn't have any choice but, but to save because there wasn't much to spend it on. 
And now in the last uh, couple of years, th those savings rates have gone down because they've been pulling money out of those COVID savings. They're pretty much done. Those, those COVID savings are pretty much gone. And so one, one concerning thing is people are now turning to borrowing. Uh, credit card debt is at a record high. I think total consumer debt is at a record high. We're seeing delinquencies go up. That could be a wild card in 2024. People, if too many people get over to get overburdened with debt, they really have to pull back. That could cause the economy maybe not to go into an overt, overt recession, but it could cause it to sputter. I read somewhere where somebody had let his credit card debt get out of uh, out of control, and he said that if he made the minimum payment that is required by the credit co card company, it would take him 56 years to reduce yeah. his debt. Yeah. So if that gets out of hand, uh, you're in serious hot water trouble. I agree. And that's, I mean, whenever I have, I, 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 although I'm not teaching young people, I see young people and I try to impress upon them. Yeah, I know you want this, that, or the other, but I was always taught, wait till you can pay for it with cash. And I try to impress that on them. Yeah, good advice. Dr. Mike Walden is our guest. He is the uh, professor emeritus of agricultural resources and economic uh, agriculture and resource economics at North Carolina State. We'll be back with more with Dr. Walden right after we take time out for these messages. They are our cuddlers and coworkers, purr machines and love bugs, and constant companions. They are our pets, our family, and they make life so much better. When we face unexpected challenges in life, so do our pets. That's why we're on a mission to support people who love their pets and the pets who love their people, ensuring these families stay exactly where they belong, together. And you have something to offer. With an open heart and mind, there is nothing you can't do. There's no gesture too small or too big when it comes to helping. Whether donating a bag of kibble, sharing an Instagram post of a lost cat, or welcoming a foster pet into your home, every bit of kindness counts. You can help keep pets and people together. Visit petsandpeopletogether.org to learn how to be a helper in your community. This has been a public service announcement brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it, unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back with Dr. Mike Walden, who recently has written a, uh, his latest book. Is it considerably different from the books he's written before? It's called The 60-Minute Investment Guide, and it's a much smaller book, and it's aimed at uh, uh, an entirely different audience than I would assume that you had aimed your previous books. So tell us a little bit about that book. Well, thanks, Don. Um, I have... Um taught financial planning and, and uh, investing for a long time when I was on the faculty at NC State. Um, <clears throat> when I would do workshops around the state, um, I, I remember there was a period of time where those were the only kinds of workshops I did. People would come and want to know how to manage their money, et cetera. Um, and about two years ago, I got to thinking, yeah, there are tons. I mean, you, you can go to a library. If you go to the section where all these financial books would be, I mean, they're going to they're gonna 
uh, take up shelves and shelves and shelves. I mean, I don't know how many thousands, probably tens of thousands of books are written, uh, have been written about investing. But one of my concerns has been that they're all very dense. They're all multi-hundred pages. A lot of them don't even try to, to, to sort of wind it down so you can explain it to someone who's not had economics and an economics background. And I always had in the back of my head, you know, I bet I could write a book that is very much gets to the point, really tries to simplify things with what with, 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 with still being um, useful. And what I came up with is the book you mentioned, The 60-Minute Investment Guide. I think it's only about 30 pages. I cover three things. Uh, how much to save if you have a particular savings goal, how much to save uh, each period, um, where to invest your money, number two, and then when you're ready to use the money, particularly in retirement, how do you take it out? And I, I think I do a pretty good job of explaining those three things in, a, in very easy to understand language. And for all the technical number crunching, I've got computer programs that are free to use. I've got the websites in my book. They're all programs I wrote. They're, they're available on a, on, on a uh, website of my own. And so the, the combination there of presenting people with something that really allows them to understand the basics of investing without, without, um, without being simplistic. I mean, there's still a lot of meat there. But in language, people can understand. And then also recognizing most people don't want to go through a lot of pulling the calculator out, doing calculations. Uh, I give them that, those computer programs that they can use, show them how to use it. And um, so uh, I know you have uh, purchased many for some of your staff, and I, I appreciate that very much. So this was a goal of mine for a long time, and we finally got it done. Well, it's, it, it really is a great guide. And like you say, you've got the resources to supplement what's in the guide, and that even helps even more. Yeah. Uh, again, the name is The 60-Minute Investment Guide by Dr. Mike Walden. Let's talk about the global economy and how that's affecting not only the global situation, but also how that might affect uh, the United States, especially in this election year. We've got the Israeli situation. We've got uh, China that's uh, always sort of a wild card. And then we've got the Ukraine-Russian war. Uh, these are things that uh, people are beginning to have more and more division on as far as whether they're for or against or how we handle it. Uh, but let's talk about it from an economic point of view. How do those three really affect the global situation and also bring it back home to the United States? Well, let me back up, if you will let me, let me back up and, and say something positive, just like we said something positive at the start. There was no recession in 2023. But if you go back a year ago and you, you listen to or watch or read about economists' forecasts, one of the big problems we were looking at, potential problems we were looking at in 2023, was a spike in oil prices because of the um, ongoing Ukraine war, also because the OPEC said, hey, we're going to tighten up a little bit. We don't like where the prices are. We want to send them up. So there's a real concern a year ago, and I think this this fed into some of the forecasts about a recession, that that oil prices, which means gas prices, would start to spike again in 2023, and that could lead to a recession. That did not happen, uh, fortunately. And I think there are two big reasons. Uh, one, although we have tried to keep the Russian oil supplies off the market with sanctions, they have found a way to get around them. Uh, primarily China and India are buying their oil, so that's not depressed. I mean, the upside of that is not depressed oil supply, supplies, which would send oil prices up. But the other factor, and I bet I bet most people don't realize this, in 2023, 
the U.S. set a record for oil production. We've never produced more oil than we did in 2023. And, and some people may find that odd because, as we know, the Biden administration has has made climate change one of their big agenda items, and, and they're trying to move us away from fossil fuels into uh, renewables. And you might say, well, gosh, this does not go against that goal. Well, yeah, it did. But I think it was a pragmatic move by the administration because they knew that uh, oil prices could very well have gone up if they didn't do that. And that would that would uh, not only hurt people here at home, it would hurt people around the world. So that's one of the more interesting results of 2023 that um, we saw actually the largest uh, production of oil from the U.S. in our in our history. I don't know if that's going to continue in 2024. My guess is that that it will. Um, now, to get to your, your, your question about uh, the geopolitical nature of the world and the effect on the economy, I mean, right now, the big concern, I mean, these things kind of shift. If you remember last year and two years ago, the concern was Russia and oil prices. Well, we, that turned out to be a, a nothing burger. I mean, obviously, the, world, the war goes on, but in terms of the effects on oil market, that hasn't, hasn't happened. But obviously, the big concern right now is, is the Middle East. Uh, when the conflict started between uh, Israel and Hamas and, and the other players there, one of the concerns was, well, could this send shivers through the oil market? Uh, it did not. Uh, another concern was, well, would could we or the Israelis uh, take out the Iranian oil production? I think they produce about a million barrels a day, something like that, which is significant. That has not has not happened. Uh, the big, the 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 odd, the odd concern that's a, that's developed is uh, freedom of transit through the Red Sea and the Suez Canal, which the Houthis, who are in Yemen and they're allies of Iran. I mean, if you watch the news, you know everyone knows about this. They've been firing missiles just about every day. We finally had our fill of it. We've been hitting back, but that's that's an ongoing concern. I, I've read that there have been some companies. That actually are saying, "Hey, we're not even going to go through the Red Sea. We're not going to even try. We're going to go around the Horn of Africa, which was the reason for the reason the Reds, the Suez Canal was built in the first place, because that's a long trek around the Horn of Africa. So, I there there could be some supply uh, effects here, supply chain effects here, because there there is some concern that um, if you if you are a company that is is relying upon inputs that are coming from say India or the Far East, and they're making that trek." around they used to go up through the Suez Canal and then they got to add another how maybe twice as long as they go along the Horn of Africa that's more money that could that could have some impact on prices so I think that is one concern but I think I don't know that it's an economy concern right now I think it's going to be industry specific unless we wake up one morning and say hey the Houthis have, have hit several ships and the Suez Canal is really shut down yeah then we could have a problem let me ask you about the uh, the situation in North Korea, which I find interesting because the North Korean dictator, for the first time, has sort of admitted that large numbers of his population are suffering and that he's planning to do something about it. Mm -hmm. My question is, what can he do about it? Well, yeah. uh, well, this problem has been festering since when I was born in 1951, when my uncle, I know my dad didn't, didn't have to go because he had already served in World War II, but my uncle went <clears throat> to Korea. Uh, we've never had a peace treaty there. Um, my read on this is Kim Il-jung still wants to rattle rattle people's cages. He still wants to make noise. Uh, this may, who knows, this may be a prelude if he says, hey, my people are suffering. I'm sure he's not going to blame it on himself. 
he's probably going to blame it on the South Koreans. So that may be uh, an excuse if he if he were to take some action to go into South Korea. Not a, not a geopolitical expert here. Don't know if that would be the case, but obviously that would not be good for the South Koreans. It would not be good for us. We're already are, are, we're already focused on a number of fronts, <clears throat> but but one could understand if Kim Il Jung says, "Hey, the U.S. is preoccupied with uh, with Israel. They're preoccupied with Taiwan. They're preoccupied with Ukraine. I'm going to make my move now." So I can see the logic there. So the way I read that statement is he may be setting that up for an, as an excuse to say, hey, life is bad here for a lot of my people in North Korea, and it's because of those South Koreans, so we got to move in there. And, of course, the uh, the other neighboring nation down there is Japan, and, of course, yes. the, their citizenry does quite well, as do, do the uh, South Koreans. Yeah. And so that's yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure the, I mean, the, the Japanese obviously are concerned uh, they don't have nuclear weapons, so they rely on us for that kind of support. But the Japanese are rearming. They've, they've, uh, I mean, they, they, they were essentially a pacifist country with no military for decades after World War II. But now, I think at our uh, instigation, they have been rearming. But they're not, they're not in the nuclear wo uh, world yet, and I'm not sure that they'll ever be. But um, yeah, if North Korea made a move on South Korea, my guess would be we would be involved, involved, the Japanese would be involved. The question would be, would, would a conflict like that stay non-nuclear? I mean, that was, that's was that been our worry for a long time in Ukraine. Would it stay non-nuclear? So far it has. And uh, who knows, Kim, Kim Il-jung's uh, calculus may be different than Putin's. He may say, hey, I've developed all these nuclear weapons. Let me let me shoot some off. So, yeah, not not good. Well, you know, the interesting thing of the wild card in all of this, I guess, is China, because China and the United States are so connected as far as economic matters. Uh, neither country can afford the other country to have problems. Well, China has problems, um, uh, and that may be our salvation, at least temporarily. China has big economic problems. Uh, you know, China has flip-flopped uh, when they came out of the Mao age. Uh, they actually moved into capitalism. They actually moved into free markets. They understood incentives. That's really what caused their economy to take off. They were sort of replicating what the U.S. was doing. Milton Friedman was considered uh, um, a savior there in his ideas in China. And then uh, um, the current leader, um, Ping, has reversed all that. And they've sort of gone back to a central controlled economy. And it's been a mess. They've misallocated money. They've wasted money. Uh, they don't have enough jobs or their people, et cetera. So that may cause them, if, if they were planning a move on, on Taiwan, and yeah, not an expert on this, so don't know, uh, that may have caused them to sort of pull back a little bit because they do have they do have economic problems. They're more reliant, I would argue, they are more reliant on us in terms of trade than we are on them. There's a lot of back and forth, but but they sell a lot more to us than we sell to them. So I think it, it's in their best interest, in my opinion, to behave. Um, but they've got this idea that they've got to uh, pull in Taiwan at some point. And um, sometimes those ideas overwhelm logic. Well, it, it, you know, it <laughs> was it uh, it was uh, said by one of our former presidents, it's the economy stupid. And I think that holds true in each of these countries that we're talking about, the bottom line is always the economy and how well the folks that are dependent on that economy are doing. Well, getting back to North Korea, I don't think I don't think their leadership really cares. 
uh, and they've been propped up over the years by by the by Russia and by China. I think the economy is more of an issue with China simply because they're such a large country. Did you know though that now India has outpaced them in population? India yes. is now the most populous country. But uh, China's got a lot of people. They've got a lot of young people. Some of those young people have been making noises about the job market. So I think there's some internal issues there that may work to our benefit to at least postpone any potential move that China would have made on Taiwan. So I guess the bottom line is India is really the wild card in all of this. Yeah, India, I, I, I think I've mentioned this a number of times in your program. India is a player in the world. Uh, India just sent some people to the moon. Uh, they're a player, and we, we need to keep them on our side. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden, and uh, we will be back with another segment. We'll turn back to uh, things a little closer to home, what we can expect here in North Carolina, and how our economy is growing, and we'll do that right after these messages. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. My mom has taken up going to the park to practice yoga. My dad's going to a club, but not a book club, a salsa club. Finding new hobbies comes with age. My mom has started getting lost and not knowing where she's going. Becoming lost or disoriented doesn't. Confusion with time or place may be a sign of Alzheimer's. An early diagnosis can help improve the quality of life for your loved one. Learn the warning signs of Alzheimer's at 10signs.org. Brought to you by the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Well, there are three topics down at the bottom of my list, and I want to attack those in this segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden. He is the William Neal Reynolds Distinguished Professor Emeritus, he's now retired, of Agricultural and Resource Economics at North Carolina State. And, of course, he's probably the closest thing North Carolina has to a state economist is uh, people in private business and the government depend a great deal on his opinions and his thoughts. And and uh, uh, he is uh, usually very level-headed and gives us great advice. So we're always interested in what uh, Mike has to say. Mike, we have not talked about the stock market. And that's uh, uh, kind of a, 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 another interesting part of 2023. Yeah, stock market's uh, done, had done much better. In fact, set, <clears throat> set records in 2023. I'm not sure where I didn't look today. Uh, so I think the stock market fooled a lot of people. Again, people like me who at the beginning of 2023 were worried about a recession. Didn't happen. Uh, we got growth, good growth, actually. Uh, good job growth, good consumer spending. Um, uh, so all the numbers work together to cause the stock market to actually have an extraordinarily good year in 2023. It's, it's interesting, how, however, the, you, you always have to 
It's what the stock market expects that sometimes is more important than what has happened. And I think we had a good a good example of this um, about a week ago. Jay Powell, who's the head of the Federal Reserve and a very very cautious person, and Federal Reserve chairs are very very cautious in terms of speaking to the media because they know their words can can move mountains in the economy. But he did let it slip. I don't know if it was a slip or he was or he was planning on it. He did say, I, I guess I should be be straight. He said that um, the Federal Reserve likely would not move on rate cuts as soon as many people expected. You know, you get these, when the Federal Reserve says, yeah, we're going to cut rates in 2024, everyone's, oh, when, when, when? You know, they, they try yeah. to pinpoint it. And so he made that statement, and you immediately saw a big hit on the stock market. I think it may have recovered from that hit. But that's an example of how just a simple notion like that, the Federal Reserve chairs, well, we're not we're going to cut, but maybe not as soon as, as a lot of people like Bama would hit the stock market. So my point here is that I think a lot of where the stock market goes in terms of 2024 is going to be dependent upon the Federal Reserve's policy. When they cut, um, how much they cut, how many cuts, et cetera. So that, that I think, is the, one of the prime, going to be one of the prime movers. Now, as long as the economy continues to grow, uh, and again, that's what the expectation of most economists is. No recession will grow. We might not have gangbuster growth, but at least growth. Uh, that's good for the stock market also. But watch that Federal Reserve and more importantly, watch expectations about the Federal Reserve. A lot of people think one of the key issues that will be a part of the election coming up this fall, no matter who the candidates might be, will be the national debt because it uh -huh. has been rising quite rapidly. And of course, when interest rates go up, the, the cost of that debt goes up. Well, um, we've been talking about the national debt as an issue for decades. Um, it has accelerated. And of course, the big reason for that was COVID. We pretty much uh, put a, an additional $7 trillion on our debt because of COVID and the, and the, and the programs that were passed and, and money pushed in. And I understand that because we didn't know where we were going with COVID. Um, I, I do not look for any great breakthrough, whomever's elected president uh, this fall. I don't look for any great breakthrough in terms of crowning the national debt. <clears throat> we are capable of making the interest payments on the debt. Now, now periodically, we get a, these debt limit things that kind of, uh, and you hear people's hair on fire. Well, if we don't pass the debt limit, we're going to default. And eventually, we do pass the debt limit, and, and it goes up. But, I, I mean, there are a lot of ideas about how to corral the national debt. I, I wrote a book a couple of years ago called Real Solutions. I've got some some ideas in there also. But I just practically don't think we've got, we collectively have the uh, fortitude to move ahead on any of them. So I think we're going to continue to see debt added. I think we're going to continue to see, uh, as interest rates go up, you're absolutely right, uh, that's added to our uh, the cost of carrying that debt. Although, if interest rates start to go down, that will help. Um, so, I yeah, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't look for any any great breakthroughs there. Now, I don't know if you want to talk about another associated idea that uh, people are beginning to worry about, and that's Social Security. Um, Social Security uh, has has publicly said. They're not trying to hide it that you know we got a problem. So, you in Washington, we have a problem. Social Security is saying. We're not going to be able to make the payments we promised to people starting in 2032. Uh, in 2032, we're going to have to cut 
by about 25% what people are getting. I'm getting Social Security now. My, my wife Mary's getting Social Security. Um, and, and when I mention that, when I give talks, people people sort of know, know this, but they don't know the number 25%. Um, what's going to happen there? Totally different, I think, than with, with national debt. There will be a solution. Um, I think politicians know Social Security is too popular to let it uh, to let it fall. And my and what I expect, uh, Don, is around 2030, whomever's president will appoint a commission, just like Ronald Reagan did in 1980 or 81. Same problem then. Uh, we'll appoint a commission. It'll have Democrats. It'll have Republicans. It'll have independents. It'll have labor. It'll have business. All the players will be there. And they will hammer out a solution. I can I can assure you the solution will include raising Social Security taxes as well as likely raising the retirement age again. That's why politicians delay having these commissions because they know they're going to have to do bad things people don't like. But that'll do it, and we'll be back on track, and you won't see that 25% cut. Well, as you said, it's, it's absolutely a vital part of people's estate planning and People count on it. It's an entitlement that uh, that uh, affects the largest number of people of all the entitlement programs, and it yeah. would be almost political suicide to change it and, radically. And, and the big problem here now is the same as it was 40 years ago, demographics. Uh, we're, we're living longer. <clears throat> people are living longer. And what's different now is at the other end, birth rate's going down. We didn't have that problem or issue 40 years ago. So we're not generating new workers to to replenish Social Security. Uh, at the same time, we got more people living longer who are taking Social Security, yeah. and uh, that's that's the crux of the problem. But again, uh, that's why there will uh, those two solutions. There'll be others too, but I can guarantee you, uh, to the extent I can guarantee anything, that two of the elements of a of a solution in twenty. Uh, I predict this will come out sometime in twenty thirty one will be higher Social Security taxes and increasing the age for retirement. Well, it, it would seem to me the way to attack that would be to add one month a year um, for the next, between now and then, and it wouldn't be near the blow it's going to be later on. It would seem like to me you could put your toe in the water and get it done a lot quicker by just doing it in very small increments mm -hmm. and uh, push that 2032 deadline out at least four or five years that way. But anyway, uh, they didn't ask me, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and they won't uh, ask me to be on the commission either. No, so. <laughs> uh, uh, student debt and debt forgiveness. Where does that yeah. stand now? And, and how will that impact the economy? Well, yeah, uh, this has got uh, uh, political marks all over it. I mean, the president tried a big forgiveness. forgiveness. Um, some groups took took it to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court said, no, you <clears throat> can't do that. President, you don't have the, that power. So he's found some some workarounds. Uh, I, I don't know the details, but he's found, he's found some workarounds. So there has been some forgiveness of student debts, not not the massive forgiveness that the president immediately proposed. Um, I have I have I have different views on this. I mean, the one side of me, who of course was around students for uh, four decades, I understand um, student debt was is is a big burden. Um, something when I was in college largely didn't exist, and now it's now it's a, it's a big deal, and I get that. It, when people go to graduate and get their job, and they say, "Oh, I got a big chunk here. It's got to go to pay off my student debt. <clears throat> Therefore, I can't buy a new home or whatever." 
once I get uh, once I have children or whatever it is. So I, I get that from the from the student point of view, but from the other point of view, I are I think I'm I'm a <clears throat> traditionalist on this. If you take out debt and you promise to pay it back, you should pay it back. Uh, that's that's the way I was brought up, and that's the way my my mind works. Uh, everyone's not going to agree with that. Uh, I think the <clears throat> I think the ultimate solution here, Don, would be to <clears throat> find ways to moderate. The big increases that we have seen, not so much in North Carolina. North Carolina, uh, you, you may be aware of this, <clears throat> North Carolina has the sixth lowest tuition and fee rates among public universities, sixth lowest of all the states. Uh, so not so much here in North Carolina, but in a lot of places, uh, uh, college expenses have just gone off the charts. And I think if, <clears throat> my, my first step would be to say, if I had some administrative control over that, if I was a governor or, or a uh, some sort of central authority in another state, I'd say, well, let's look at your budget here. What what are you spending? What are you doing? What do we need this? Do we need that? Maybe are you getting away from your core mission of teaching? So I think there could be ways that we could make <clears throat> universities and colleges a little more affordable. Well, uh, compound this with the mounting problems in funding college athletics, mm -hmm. the state universities, uh, uh, you know, when they pay for a scholarship, they pay they pay the full thing. The athletic department mm -hmm. pays for it. Right. Mm -hmm. The private schools uh, can invade their private funds to support their uh, yeah. uh, athletic endeavors. And that worries me a little bit because I don't know that the donors of that money had that in mind when they built their endowments. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I keep the privates and the publics separate. I mean, I, my, most of my comments would be with regard to publics because we have we as citizens of North Carolina, of course, are helping to pay for NC State, help pay for my salary and UNC and all the other campuses. I think that's a different situation. The privates are private, whatever they, they do, it's, it stays in the house there. I don't disagree with your points, but my focus has always usually been on the, uh, always usually, how about that for, for a combination of words, has always been on, on the publics because we've got public money there, so it is a public issue. Well, as as you said, we should be very proud of the fact that we have been yeah. able to keep the, our cost of education in the uh, six. Yeah, I always, I always like to point that out. North Carolina yeah. has done a very good job. Of course, the legislature and the board of governors are are behind most of this, and you were on the board of trustees at UNC. Yeah, I think we've had a great leadership there that has been very cognizant of keeping um, higher education in the public schools uh, accessible to as many people as we can. Uh, gas prices, of course, are a constant reminder of how the economy stands because every time somebody drives anywhere, they pass all the signs with the gas uh, signs on it. And in in the Raleigh area and in North Carolina, the gas prices are staying fairly close to $3 a gallon right. uh, and have been for a little longer period of time than I can remember in a long time. It's been more stable. Do you forecast that uh, this year will be about the same? Uh, that's a, yeah, that's a safe forecast. Yes. So when you're, when you're, when you don't know as a forecast, you say, yeah, I think it'll stay the same. I mean, I'm in a little facetious here. Uh, again, that was, a, that was a big story a year ago there. I think the expectation a year ago was gas prices were going to spike again, didn't happen. But again, it's, it was supply, you know, everything in economics, Don, is supply and demand. It's yeah. actually economics is very simple, supply and demand. Uh, the more supply you got, the less less costly, uh, less, lower price is going to be. The more demand you got, then the opposite. And so what's always key in, in gas prices are where you stand with supply and demand. Usually in the wintertime, people don't drive as much. 
So we see some lowering of gas prices. Then in the summer, we see the opposite. But on the supply side, if we've got you know, a big concern when the uh, Israeli Hamas war started is, hey, is that going to disrupt oil supplies out of the Middle East? Uh, it has not. And at the same time, we, we started pumping more. So, uh, yeah, I don't see anything that would change that uh, other than if there was a major escalation in the Middle East. I mean, there was talk after <clears throat> our three great soldiers uh, that we all mourn were killed in, um, in um, uh, Jordan that maybe we'd retaliate on the oil supplies in, in Iran. Well, it's going to be something interesting to watch. We've got one final segment with Dr. Mike Walden coming up, and we're going to focus uh, entirely on North Carolina's economy, what our strongest sectors are, and uh, the housing market and the long-range outlook as aging population increases and those issues and more when we return with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Who said that? Me, down here. What are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Talking to your kids about the dangers of vaping can be hard. Getting them to listen to hot gossip is easy. So here's some drama you could share with your kid. Dude, did you hear about Cassie and Jake? No, but did you hear that vaping can cause irreversible lung damage and nicotine affects brain development? <gasps> Nuh-uh. You don't need to gossip if you want to have an open conversation about vaping. So if you want to get tips on when and how to talk to your kids, visit talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers, our final segment with Dr. Mike Walden, the uh, closest thing to an economist uh, for the state of North Carolina and someone that we have depended on here on the North Carolina News Network and WPTF for years to explain in uh, terms that even I can understand uh, what the economy is doing. Mike, let's look at the North Carolina economy. We've alluded to it uh, a couple of times already, but what are our strongest segments and how have we continued to change from that textile cigarette manufacturing economy to what is now uh, an economic balance that uh, I guess the entire nation looks at with great envy? Well, I think there's a lot lot of uh, excitement about the North Carolina economy that that continues the um, if you talk to uh, economic development people in North Carolina, I think I think North Carolina has been ranked the top state for economic development. I forget who does this uh, for two years in a row, and there's a lot of hope that maybe we'll get a three three peat and have that done for 2023 also. Uh, but I mentioned the numbers earlier when I, I just checked that we have grown in terms of jobs at twice the rate since um, uh, since the pandemic's been over. 
than than the nation. So so that's great. And another thing here, Don, that I found actually pleasingly surprising when I was looking at these numbers, I divided them between jobs in metros and jobs in non-metros. And do you know that between uh, 2020 and right now, uh, job growth has actually been faster by a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit faster in our non-metros than in our metros. Wow. And it's going to be interesting to see if that, that continues. It might have to do with some after effects of COVID, maybe people saying, hey, you know what? We want to live outside the cities. Uh, we want a little more breathing room, uh, worried about uh, about the virus coming back. So that that was actually very pleasing for me to uh, to see. If you look at the sectors where job growth has been uh, greatest, I mean, obviously at the top, you're going to see uh, professional jobs. Uh, now here was an, an education and healthcare. Those are, those are always been obvious. Interestingly, one that stood out to me uh, again looking over this time period uh, of faster job faster than average job growth was warehousing and transportation. Uh, that sector has been growing at a faster rate than the seven percent I mentioned for the overall state economy. And my guess there is this has to do with the changing way in which people buy products and and uh, and they, they go online and buy them. <clears throat> so they have to be warehoused or they have to be a warehouse where they're stored. Then they get delivered. So that was a very interesting uh, point. One downside of the numbers I looked at, if, again, if you go back to right the economy before COVID. So I'm using uh, February of 2020 as my beginning point, And I'm looking at uh, December 2023 as my end point. Uh, and manufacturing jobs actually went down. We lost about a, a 1% to our manufacturing job base. So we're, we're, I think we're still having a transition there. Uh, we're still trying to find our way. And of course, uh, the big growth areas have been in technology, uh, pharmaceuticals. We now have this hope of, a, I call it a um, renewable energy, energy sector. I mean, Vinfast uh, 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 is probably the, the, the top example of that but we have the battery factory in in the greensboro area by toyota we have the uh, chip factory by wolf speed in chatham county so it's going to be interesting to see if those uh, to, to the degree which those grow and add jobs and i'm actually very excited about that particularly the location because uh, as i said earlier i was surprised positively surprised by the fact that metro uh non-metro jobs grew faster than metro jobs that's and, and the reason I was surprised is that that's not been the case, as you know, Don, for about the last three or four decades. Yeah. Uh, the cities have grown. It's been the rural areas that have suffered. So we saw a little bit of a turnaround there. And if you think about that, that corridor between uh, Chatham County over to south of uh, Greensboro and Winston-Salem, that's a pretty rural area along along 64. And then you've got rural counties to the north and south of 64. And think about the what is it, uh, ten to fifteen thousand new jobs that are expected by those aforementioned companies. Yeah. That could be a big boon for for people in those, all those rural counties to get new training. And there, and I know Vinfast is already starting their their training at the Central Carolina Community College, getting new training, getting much better pay. So I'm I'm real excited about that because I think that's exactly what we need to have happen in a lot of rural North Carolina. Uh, broadband, of course, has been something we've talked about. Are we making the proper progress in bringing broadband to all parts of North Carolina? Uh, well, the federal government now is involved in that. It was, what was it, the inflation? Was it the, no, it was the um, 
infrastructure bill. Uh, there are two bills there. The infrastructure bill that was passed, I think, in 2022, and then the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, which was actually a climate bill, uh, was passed in 2022. Uh, I think it's um, I think it's the uh, from the infrastructure bill where money is now beginning to uh, start to come into North Carolina, be able to be dispersed. So we finally got some federal money behind that because that's I mean, I mean, everyone knows that's absolutely crucial to have high speed Internet availability anywhere you are now. It's like electricity was in the 1920s. And um, I've yet to see how many customers Musk is getting from his um, Starlink. Those are the satellites way up there. You know, he's the one that's keeping the lights on or at least the computers up in Ukraine. He immediately uh, said, hey, you got free access to my Starlinks there. So that's another player here. But yeah, we, we, we definitely have to get high speed internet availability to every place, everywhere in North Carolina. And that's certainly going to help that rural development. Well, North Carolina is not only bringing in a lot of jobs, but North Carolina has also turned out to be a uh, very desirable place for people to retire. And so that actually will increase our aging population somewhat. Uh, how will that affect us? Yeah, and it will. And, and you know, one thing uh, to remember, though, that not all people who retired don't work. Uh, I mean, I'm officially retired from my main job, but I still work. I do consulting. And a lot of people do that. And when I give speeches, I tell a group, especially as a business group, I ask them to show raise of hands, who's having still, still having trouble finding workers. And you're always going to have a number of hands go up. And I say, don't forget the over age 55 group. Uh, there are a lot of people there who want to work. They maybe don't want to work 40 hours a week, so you probably have to uh, change the complexion of your job or the composition of your job, but there are a lot of people there. So uh, I look at people, retirees coming here, certainly they're going to bring their, they're going to be in their Social Security, they're going to retirement, so they're going to create economic development just by doing that. But there are a lot of there, there are, are certainly potential workers. And when you mention North Carolina as a, re, as a retirement haven, I mean, I, I've been here now almost 50 years, born in Ohio, married, born in New York State. We both love it here. I mean, it's the total package here. You've got the beach, you've got the mountains, you've got the Piedmont in between, you've got cities, you've got rural areas, you've got decent weather, uh, not burning hot in the summer and certainly not uh, uh, cold in the winter. And, and this is something that people are often surprised when I tell them, if you look at the national cost of living, North Carolina's average cost of living, now it's going to vary where you are in the state, is 10% lower, 10% lower. So a lot of those retirees who are coming from New York, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Ohio, the Midwest, and they come down here and they say, wow, my dollar goes further here. That's one of the reasons I'm here. So, yeah, it's uh, it's just uh, it's been a lovely experience uh, with my wife and I living here now for almost 50 years. It's just a wonderful state. I know you were born and raised here and yeah. worked here, but for people who come from outside, I think they're they're shocked by what a what a great place North Carolina is. And our, our government has gotten our, our government finances in great shape. I mean, we basically are pay as you go state. We we do borrow some money, but for, for the most part, we have a balanced budget, and we've done oh, yes. this yes. with uh, within yes, that framework. We always have debates over uh, taxes. That's 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 going to be endless. But yeah, we have uh, we have to have our balanced budget. Um, we can only we borrowing is limited to things like roads and bridges, et cetera. And and uh, speaking of roads, I mean, as we grow, we need more transportation, whether whether it be by vehicle or by rail, rail or, or or flight. And um, one of the issues that has been ongoing is how do we 
fund the North Carolina Transportation Department. I was on a commission a couple of years ago who we took a deep dive into that. Clearly, the gas tax is not going to take care of us forever. One reason being the increased efficiencies that you've mentioned. Another reason being people are going to be using more non-gas vehicles. Yeah. We have to figure out a way of raising money that doesn't rely on the gas tax, tolls, mileage fees. Those are all ideas. The General Assembly a couple of years ago actually started moving money out of the sales tax revenue to send it to transportation. So that's going to be an ongoing issue to see how that plays out because clearly we need transportation investments. Well, we've got a minute and a half for you to summarize for those who joined the program late. <laughs> the wonderful uh, recap that you gave us in the first segment of the overall view of the economy and what you're forecasting for the upcoming year. Well, the Cliff so, Notes see if you version, can summarize it in about a minute and a half. Cliff Notes version is we don't see a recession. We, being economists, don't see a recession this year. Fortunately, we didn't have one in 2023. A lot of us were wrong on that. A uh, big issue for 2024 besides the election is going to be the Federal Reserve. They've said they're going to cut interest rates. The question is, when are they going to start to cut? How many cuts? Where will we be at the end of the year? So keep an eye on that. But for people who want to jump into the home market, home buying market, and they've not been able to because of those interest rates, there's light at the end of the tunnel. I'd still hold out. I wouldn't make any moves until the end of the year. But that's certainly good. North Carolina numbers show we are continuing to grow, faster growth in the nation, about twice as fast. Good news is we've seen some faster growth recently in the last couple of years in rural areas. So we, we want to spread the wealth, if you will, in North Carolina. High-speed Internet's part of that. I think remote work is a big part of that. I wrote a whole book about that, about how people could work remotely and that could revive rural North Carolina while they've got a company they work for that might be in the metros. So I think there are certainly exciting things, challenging things, but but on the other hand, exciting things for North Carolina in the next few years that will take us into uh, the rest of this uh, century. And then, uh, well, I won't, we, won't, we won't be around, Don, in, in 2050, <laughs> but uh, hopefully we'll set the table so that yeah. it's going to be very good for those in 2050. Well, you know, you uh, you listed all the reasons why North Carolina is a great place to, to live. One of the things that you didn't mention is we have unusually good health care on top of every, everything else that you did mention. And the one thing we need, though, Don, is Major League Baseball. I know Jason will, will agree to that. We need to get a Major League team here. I know the Reds won't come here, but maybe the White Sox. Well, that's a thought. And, uh, <laughs> uh, the you know, Greensboro would be an ideal location for a Major League Baseball team. I guess that's another topic for another day. <laughs> Our guest has been Dr. Mike Walden. And uh, uh, as we said, he's recently written a new book that you uh, might want to look for, The 60-Minute Investment Guide, which reduces how to invest to about 40 pages, plus some uh, access to some uh, uh, Internet uh, programs that will help you even further. Um, so uh, you might want to look at that book. It's a great book, and I highly recommend it. Available on, uh, available on Amazon. Available on Amazon. <laughs> um, thank you for that. Uh, our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com. That's carolinanewsmakers.com, and you can hear either the entire broadcast or if you're listening to one of the stations that carries only the half-hour version, you can pick up the two segments that you missed. So that's about it for this week. We'll look forward to seeing you again next week on the same group of stations. Till next week, have a good week, everybody. 
Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.